0: Well, how many of you want to say a giant amen that our God saves? Amen. Amen. I am so glad to be back with you. It is an honor to be here. I love your pastor. I I love this church. It's very close to my own family. Uh, We feel like we're sister churches to you there in Temecula, way out in the middle of the Inland Empire where we bake all day. Uh, But understand, I even love the stores that you have in this area. The stores. In fact, uh, there's a a store that you may not have heard about. It's called the Husband Shopping Center. Have you heard of it? The Husband Shopping Center, Husband Mart for short. Uh, It just opened. It's where a woman could go to choose a husband from among many men. It's amazing. In fact, the store has six floors, ladies, and the men increase in positive attributes the higher that you get. But there is a catch. As you open the door to any floor, you may choose any man from that floor but if you go up a floor, or you, you cannot go back down except to exit the building. So there's kind of a condition there. One article describes one woman's experience as she went to husband mart. And this was her experience as she got into the first floor. The, there's a sign there as you get off the elevator. Floor number one, these men have jobs. And she went, wow, well, that's better than the last boyfriend I had, but... Uh, I wonder what's further up. So she went to the second floor, the second floor sign reads this way, floor number two, these men have jobs and love kids. Oh wow, that's impressive, that's great, but I wonder what's further up. So up she goes again. The third floor sign reads, floor number three, these men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Oh, you know, so she's impressed, better, but I wonder what's upstairs. So the fourth sign uh, on the fourth floor reads, floor number four, these men have jobs, love kids, are extremely good looking, and help with the housework. And she's going, wow, that's very tempting. But... Uh, well, there must be more farther up. And so she goes another flight. The fifth floor sign reads this, floor number five. These men have jobs, they love kids, they're extremely good looking, they help with the housework and have a strong, romantic streak. Oh, mercy. Uh, she's just over, you know, out of her mind, but she thinks, well, well, what's next? So she goes up to the sixth floor, and the sixth floor sign reads this. Floor number six, your visitor, one billion, 12 million, 345 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. (laughs) 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 Thank you for shopping at Husband Mart. (laughs) Have a nice day. Now, I don't think that's true at Compass. Uh, You wives of this church have uh, contented yourselves with far less than the top floor. I realize that, so. Interesting enough, we know from men of the Bible, imperfect men but godly men like Joshua, like Caleb, like Elijah, like Daniel, you can be a fifth floor man. I call them mighty men, mighty men. But what are the qualities of manhood that actually set men apart, Christian men apart from others to be impactful for Christ, to make them the ideal husband, the ideal father, the godly man, the biblical man? Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 16. If you're not there already, please turn there. If you're looking for it, it's between Genesis and Revelation, you'll find it. And interesting enough, there's just two verses there, but it spells out biblical manhood, biblical Christian maleness, spiritual leadership, what I'm calling the mighty man. Don't get, be confused now. There is a specific title called the man of God, and that's a prophet in the Old Testament, a preacher in the New. That's a specific role. I'm defining the mighty man as a man who lives by the Scripture. He's a man who lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's a man who's seeking to fill out God's design for men, which is being lost today. You say, well, why don't we see mighty men today? Why don't we see those kind of men? Well, you can't be mighty unless you're willing to fight. And we'll, unless you're willing to battle, because our culture is moving away from this design, God's design. In other words, to be a mighty man, you're going to have to fight against the pressure of feminism. You're going to have to be aware of the confusion of the media, the attacks of the LGBTQ, the millennial desire for ease, the laziness of your own flesh, and even battle the enemy who wants you to be disobedient to God's word and would move you that way and remove you as a threat. You might even struggle in the context of your own home to actually live out God's design. Hopefully that's not true, but it might be true for some. So read these two verses. Way in the upper right corner of your outline is the verse listed, the two verses listed there together. I want you to read it out loud together as we go through this very short passage. Let's read it right now, ready, here we go. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now in the midst of a culture which has lost biblical manhood, Uh, Christian men need to reclaim God's perfect design. Now there's also a design for women as well. We're gonna focus on men this morning, but never forget, the battle for biblical manhood is not new, it's not just contemporary. It was a huge struggle 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth. The Corinthian letter is made up of correction. The entire epistle is themed correction. 15 chapters of correcting behavior, correcting even errant theology in chapter 15 about the resurrection. And Paul has to correct the error. And as he does so, he does so pointedly, but also graciously. But we live in a day when biblical correction, as far as the scripture is concerned, in this church is actually viewed as hate speech in the world. So we got to be careful So becoming a biblical man of absolutes is is not going to be easy in this world of relativism. Would you agree with that? It's tough for you to become like Christ, which we just sang about beautifully, wonderfully, that that's what the Spirit of God wants to do. If you're a believer here this morning, the Spirit of God wants one thing from you this morning, that you would become more like his son. That's how you bring God glory. If you're a non-believer today, there's one thing the Spirit of God wants to do for you and wants to do in your heart and life, and that you would come to Christ. So for non-Christians to come to Christ, for Christians to become more like Christ is the goal. And for you to become like Christ, your sin has to be hated, your behavior corrected, your habits changed, your thinking conformed, your attitudes adjusted, your mentality transformed. Regardless of this politically correct culture that we live in, regardless of that, For the believer, you and I need correction to line our lives up to the Word of God and the power of the Spirit. We need to be those who deal with the issues in our lives that are not in line with the Scripture. And so just like the Corinthians had all kinds of things that needed to be corrected, these two verses are to charge the men to say, this is what you need to do in order to make those corrections. This is a summary section of the book. Well, if you have issues in your life, these are the verses too that you can apply to make corrections in your life, to make those adjustments. Paul's correcting the Corinthians, and underneath is this strong exhortation that you find now spelled out here for leaders and for the men of the church. This is what he's spelling out right here. In fact, take the lead, he's telling them, don't be passive. Accept responsibility. Stop being afraid of what others people think. Live courageously. Yes, God is sovereign, but you and I are responsible. We are. So after all this correction, this underlying expectation for the men of Corinth to step up, at the end of the letter, Paul clearly states his expectations, and they are listed here for believing men. Right here. This is God's will. He's summarizing what he's been saying the entire letter. The whole letter he's been trying to get to this point. This is what you must become in order to lead the church and lead their homes. This is what you must do in order to be that biblical man, that godly man, that mighty man. This is what you do to make corrections in your life. Look at it again, 13 and 14 of chapter 16. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love five commands. That's what they are. You just read five commands, five imperatives, five final exhortations that basically are the positive side of what Paul told the Corinthians not to do and not to be in the earlier chapters. Again, what is it in your life that needs correction? These are the steps, the commands that you follow to make those corrections. And as he wraps up commanding the men to live God's design for manhood, he's exhorting these men of Corinth to grow up, grow up spiritually. He summarizes the solution to the struggles found in 1 Corinthians by commanding the men of the church there in Corinth to behave like mature men. He's already told them this. He's now reiterating it here in these final five commands. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20: Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Well, in evil. be infants, but in your thinking, what? Be mature. He wants them to grow up spiritually. Grow up and get after the issues in this letter. You say, what are the issues in this letter? They're big, and they're bad, and they're difficult, Issues like lawsuits, immorality, Christian liberties, intimacy in marriage, singleness, God's design for women. In fact, he talks about spiritual gifts and tongues and prophecy and more. What's Paul's solution? To obey the commands that are listed here and put the word of God into practice, which I just gave you in this letter. But remember, men, you cannot become mighty men, godly men. You cannot be that biblical man in your own strength. Can I hear amen to that? No one has ever achieved this, okay? This prior to heaven, we're in process. We're pursuing this. And yet in this letter alone, Paul reminds the Corinthians almost 30 times to be dependent upon the Spirit of God. To rely on the Spirit of God to work through you in order to accomplish these commands. He actually says in 1 Corinthians 3:16, "Do you not know that you're the temple of God that the spirit of God dwells in you?" 1 Corinthians 12:13, "For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body." In other words, he's saying dependence upon the spirit of truth according to the word of truth will make you a man of truth. That's what he's saying. So what does a mighty man look like? What does that biblical man look like? Each command makes up one point of the outline. Five commands here, so we have five points in the outline. Follow with me if you would. Point number one, if you're taking notes, the mighty man will accept the responsibility to lead. The mighty man will accept the responsibility. This is the number one issue with men today. Accepting the responsibility to lead. There are divisions in Corinth, there's moral compromise, Biblical confusion, so Paul gives the men this first command, be on the alert. The ESV says, watch out, pay attention, be watchful. Your job is to watch out. The world, the flesh, and the devil are on the attack. Watch out. This is enemy turf, enemy territory, be careful. Men, it's your responsibility to lead in the church, to lead in your homes. You must be responsible to remain vigilant or you will be attacked. And a lot of the attack is subtle. In Corinth, the enemy opposed the ministry of Paul. Timothy, Apollos, later on, they opposed Titus. It was a war in Corinth. And the enemy attacked the men of the church in many ways to move them away from obedience to the Scripture, living under the authority of the Word of God. So mighty men must be aware, be awake, be alert, be responsible. That word alert, when he says that, or be watchful in the ESV, is used 22 times in the New Testament. And it's often calling believers not to be, are you ready, write this down, not to be indifferent. Do not be indifferent. Pay attention, wake up. In the first century context, they'd get it. In the walled cities, and the communities that they lived in, there would be men of the city who would be responsible to be on guard to watch the gates to make sure and watch for enemies. Guard the gates from attack. And spiritually speaking, the Corinthian men had failed in this task. In chapters one and two, they substitute human wisdom for God's word. In chapters one through three, they were factious In chapter five, they were immoral. In chapter six, they were litigious. Chapter seven, they had perverted ideas about marriage, divorce, and celibacy. In chapter 10, they were indifferent about others. In chapter 12 to 14, they misused their spiritual gifts. In chapter 13, they were unloving, unloving. The men of the church of Corinth had failed to remain alert in their homes and in their church, and yet for us, In spite of a culture that's moving away from manliness, that's moving away from God's design for marriage, that's moving away from the roles of men and women, you need to be responsible. Be on the alert. In the New Testament, John MacArthur points out that there are six additional areas that every believer is to watch out for. You see it there in your outline. Watch out for Satan, watch out for temptation, watch out for indifference, watch out for false teachers. And then there are a couple of uh, positive ones. Those are all negative. Be alert in prayer, he says in Ephesians 6. Be alert and watchful for the Lord's return in Matthew chapter 24. But here in verse 13, Paul's commanding the men of Corinth to be responsible, to remain alert, making certain your family follows God's Word. At your workplace you're not following man's wisdom. In your own life you're obeying God's truth, not man's ideas. In your own lifestyle you're pursuing heavenly priorities, not earthly ones. Make sure. That's the job of the man. Accept the responsibility to make certain your spiritual family stays on biblical target. Admit it when you're not doing it and step up. Admit it. Now it's true that there are few women few women in general who admit their age. I've also found sadly that it's true that few men act their age, okay? And so what you've got here is grow up, be alert, don't turn on the wrong road, don't allow your family to, don't take the wrong trail, don't go through the wrong door. Practically then you say, well, how does this work out? Well, for example, in your home, if you're off center and money in debt, maxed out on credit cards with no budget, no plan, it's your responsibility to get you back on the track. It's your responsibility. You're the head of the home. Be responsible. Stop imitating and following Adam. What did Adam do? He took defeat like a man and blamed his wife. Actually, he blamed God. He said, literally, the woman you gave me. He's blaming them both. Listen, man, it's not your wife, it's not God, it's you. Step up. Get a biblical plan together, get help, get after it. It's your responsibility to live obedient to the scriptures. Be on the alert. If you would, if, just for a moment, turn to Ephesians chapter six. Hold your place here, turn to Ephesians chapter six. With your children, the alert father studies his children. He watches them. He listens. He compares where they're at to the word of God. If he sees unbiblical trait developing like laziness, like lying, like effeminate sons or masculine daughters, or overt emphasis on appearance, uncontrolled lust, materialism, or a total focus on self, the mighty man comes up with a game plan. The mighty man says, I'm gonna take God's word and I'm gonna have them memorize scripture. I'm gonna teach God's word. I'm gonna give lessons. I'm gonna expose them to biblical priorities. I'm gonna put them in experiences where they can see the truth lived out. I'm gonna offer them other models besides parents to live these truths out. I'm gonna disciple them, which is to be intentional in your relationship for the purpose of growth in Christ. I'm gonna address those specific issues biblically. I'm gonna be on the alert. I'm watching my home. You say, that's mom's job. No, that's only if you read the RSV, right? You know what the RSV is, right? That's the reversed standard version. Okay, it's not mom's job, it's your job. You're responsible. Look at, look at what the Bible has to say in Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. It says, children obey your who? Parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And then he says, fathers, as he talks about parenting, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When Paul addresses the parenting process, and what's happening here, you have wives and husbands in chapter five. Chapter six, you have children, and now verse four, fathers, And then you have slaves and masters. He's talking about the first century household. He's broken it down this way. When he talks about the parenting process in verse 4, he puts it on the shoulders of fathers. Wow. You say, well, Chris, what he meant when he says fathers in verse 4? He meant both parents. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He uses the Greek word for parents in verse 1. Look at it. Obey your what? Parents. Well Chris, really what he meant is he really meant in verse four when he said fathers. He meant fathers and mothers in verse four when he says fathers. No, look at verse two. He uses the word father and mother. He intentionally, if we believe in the spirit of God, we believe that he intentionally, that all scripture is God breathed, he put fathers there which means that discipleship of parenting is first the responsibility of the father. Not popular today. Not lived out often today, but exactly what God intended. Now, obviously, alongside of him is his wife, the mother of his children, but it is first the responsibility of the father. Men, be the model. Men, lead your homes. Know your kids. Guide them biblically. Invest into them individually. To become that mighty man, you've got to be alert. You've got to invest All biblical men will also interconnect with the local church because these words here in First Corinthians chapter 16 are addressed to a church. They're addressed interrelationship relationship with other believers. The, a, a biblical man, a godly man, a mighty man is not a spectator. He's a participant in the local church. You don't know, just come and hear, you're engaged and interconnected to the local church. You're sacrificially giving. You're faithfully serving. You're embracing sound doctrine. You're in genuine fellowship with one another. You're in relational discipleship while caring for the spiritual health of the church in your own home and your own heart. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Manhood has, has gotten crazy today. I mean, who of us would ever thought that we'd see the day that Peter Pan was the model for Manhood. Right? You've seen it. You've heard the songs. I don't want to grow up is the theme song of the next generation. I don't want to leave home. I don't want to stop playing video games. I don't want to get a job. I don't want to get married. I want to have kids. And worst of all, I don't want to do anything, anything significant for Jesus Christ who, in contrast, did everything for me. Paul commands every man to be responsible, to watch out for error, to redirect according to the truth and follow God's word. Be on the alert. Number two in your outline. The mighty man will seek God's approval over man's approval. Seek God's approval. He says, verse 13, first command, be on the alert. Second command now, point number two, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Develop a mature stability. Men are to grow up. The second command here, stand firm in the faith, means that you're to be steadfast, steady, unshakable. Paul just told the Corinthians in 1558, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Here, stand firm. Be steadfast, unshakable. You say, unshakable in what? So glad you asked. Look what he says. In the what? Faith. Now, whenever you have in your New Testament, when it says the faith, it's often a reference to the substance of scripture. It's not talking about trusting God more. It's not talking about the subjective sense, that sense of reliance, needing to trust God. That's not the focus here. It's really talking about the substance of your faith, the body of truth which makes up our faith, the faith, the faith in Christ. And so he's talking about an immovable dependence upon the scriptures, immovable. Depending on God's word, firm in the faith, immovable, unshakable in the truth of God's word. And this admonition to stand to be firm is directed against unwavering uncertainty. He doesn't want you to be doubting or indifferent. Men are to stand in the faith. Not like a dead post, you know, that's immovable, hammered in the ground, but but really like a tree that roots go deeper and deeper and deeper, stronger and assuming growth and assuming greater firmness the more you are mature with every decision, every direction, every discussion, the true man of God, the mighty God, depends on God's word. More and more and more. It becomes the lens that you look through, becomes the net that you filter all of life through. Now statistics tell us, I've been reading about this, the three ages, there's three, when men misbehave. Right, you're aware of this. First, it's when men are young Second, it's when men are old. And third, it's between when they're young and old. Those three times, <laughs> that's when men misbehave. But the mighty man, his main concern <laughs> that's driving him is reliance upon God's will by obediently following God's word. The born again man does not want his will, he wants God's will. The mighty man depends on objective truth only found in the Bible. Mighty men want God's approval over man. Sadly, Christian men today don't know God's Word. And yet men, they know their work material, they know the freshest YouTube, they, they, their favorite movie lines, the latest podcast, but with God's Word, like Ephesians, they're, they're tossed to and fro, and they're carried about by every wind of doctrine. Today's man is not firm on anything. Many modern churches, not this one, praise God, have adopted a secular approach. They they don't take their stand on anything so as not to offend anyone who is uncertain and, and nothing is absolute. And so therefore, weak men adopt the same approach. You know, they just don't take a stand on anything that is objective out of the scriptures. And so friend, understand that approach denies God's character and it actually treats God's word as useless. Standing firm, immovable in the truth of the faith that you respond to, affirming the truth of scripture and the content of the, uh, of the gospel of Jude three, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. First Corinthians 15, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand. Stand firm. Mighty men know that standing firm is knowing God's word and living by sound doctrine. So the question is, can you lead your home by God's Word. It's pretty easy when you're young, when your kids are young, as they get a little bit older, are you able to teach your teenagers biblically about creation evolution? The male and female design and contrast to our culture, apostolic signs, homosexuality, election, that's your job. That's the man's job. Satan cannot take saving faith away, but he can obscure the content of our faith. And if men don't stand firm on the right interpretations of Scripture, then they'll slip into wrong thinking. They slip into errant beliefs and aberrant behavior. Today's church is embarrassed, and they avoid talking about sin and hell and judgment. The mighty man is firm. He shares difficult truth regardless. We Christians avoid speaking about Christ as the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no one, nowhere, anywhere will come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Wimpy men embrace a victim mentality. They blame others for what's gone on in their life. Biblical men focus on their own heart by embracing their weaknesses and accepting the consequences of their sins. Mighty men fear God and fear no one and nothing else. They don't even fear their own wives. Huh. You may be that super shy guy who married that incredible burst of personality. You may have. Seeking God's approval, applying this command means if your wife gossips, you lovingly exhort her from God's word about what God's word says about gossip. If your wife wants to parent by fear, you share passages to live by faith. If your wife begins to push freedoms and choices and non-biblical choices on others as if this is the only way, this is what God expects, you say, that's not what we do with our freedoms, our choices, our preferences. If your wife loves money, or worse than that, she loves shopping. You seek to model a love for the Lord over things and seek to budget and manage credit cards. Why? Because the mighty man wants eternal things over earthly things. The biblical man wants to please Christ over pleasing his wife, his kids, and others. A godly man seeks God's approval over man's. He stands firm in the faith. Number three in your outline. The third one, the third command in this passage. The mighty man will reject passivity and follow God's word. Reject passivity. He says, Command one, be on the alert. Command two, stand firm in the faith. Command three, act like men. Act like men is a call for courageous manliness in an hour when mature leadership is needed. That's what he's saying. The Greek actually communicates this be men constantly. Never not be a man. Show yourselves men always. Be manly with a strong connotation of bravery and unflinching courage. Not be passive. It's used here in the connection with faithfulness. The opposite is to be cowardly, like some men, or faint-hearted, like some women, or timid, like some children. No soldier on the battlefield can be passive. You cannot be passive on the battlefield. This is a battlefield. You cannot be passive here. You're not in heaven yet. So how do men typically show fear? Well, by avoidance. They keep their mouth closed when it should be open. They uh, avoid a situation when they should step right in or dive right in. They ignore a conversation when they should interrupt. They remain passive about acting upon the truth when they should be aggressively applying the truth. Now, Understand what's happening here. What he's saying to these men at Corinth to act like men, understand, he's saying, look, I need you men to stop Christians from suing each other, stop Christians from dividing up against each other, stop Christians with immoral behavior with each other. Those are not easy tasks. Would you agree? And that's what he's saying. This kind of mature courage, act like men, includes a sense of self-control and confidence that's not found in the childish men of our day. Paul told the Corinthians, do not be children in your thinking, be men. Be spiritual men, not babies. He even said, do I have to bring a rod to spank you, threatening them with discipline like a parent does a a stubborn child? This culture is pressing men to be childish, silly, (laughs) irrelevant, silent, silent, when acting like men is speaking up and standing on the truth. Some men are afraid to bring up difficult issues in their own homes. They're afraid to have that very serious talk with one of their teenagers. Some men are afraid to speak up about a biblical truth with a non-Christian. Biblical men reject passivity. You cannot be passive in this world as a believer you reject it by intimately knowing God and living for him. Biblical manhood is almost always defined by your personal knowledge of God. Understand, when the crisis hits, it's your theology that catches you. You need to know your theology that then helps you to know God, and you have to know what he loves and what he hates, and as you go deeper, you want to begin to understand that, and that's what guides you. In fact, even the Apostle John in in the epistle of 1 John teaches that children understand the gospel. Young men will battle for truth, but mature men know God. Deeply, personally, intimately, their theology catches them, their theology drives them. And Paul even says the mighty man knows the fullness of Christ. So knowing Christ only comes from knowing his word, yet men don't know God if they allow attitudes or actions to continue unchecked in their home that are contrary to the scripture. The passive man is not a biblical man. It is not the design of God for you to be passive. You need to act like men continually. Someone has said that men are like blisters, you know? They only show up when the work is done, you know? Uh, But biblical man truly is, is first to serve as an example, to step up and live the truth. It's the same with the mighty man. He leads by calling others to live the truth. Acting like a man means you initiate, then you serve while modeling, modeling. It's not that you tell your children what to do. You model for them. You show them as well. Men initiate with the truth. They lead with the word. You don't shout, do what I say. You say graciously, let us do what Jesus says. You often openly confess your sin of anger or impatience or whatever you're battling with. I believe biblical men apologize first. You may not like that, but if you're the head, you're the leader, then that means that if you're gonna get reconciliation within the context of your home, you need to break that, that wall. You need to initiate apologies and forgiveness when there's an impasse. And overall, you take responsibility for the spiritual health of your home and share in the concerns of your church. You act like men. Number four, there's a fourth command in verse 13. It says, be on the alert, that's one. Stand firm in the faith, that's two. Act like men, that's three. The fourth one is be strong. But this is a really good one, but be strong is often used in the New Testament to describe the inner spiritual growth. But here, the verb is in the passive voice. You might wanna write in your Bible, be strengthened. Be strengthened. That's what it literally means. Reminding you, men, you can't do this. You can't be the mighty man, the biblical man, the godly man, in your own strength. You cannot strengthen yourself. The Lord must do that through you. Can I hear an amen to that? Nobody lives this. Nobody rises up to this in this life. But we seek it, and we are strengthened by God to pursue it. You don't glorify God. God glorifies himself through you. When you're in the spirit, you glorify him. When you're in the flesh in your own strength, you don't. It is God through you. The Lord must empower you, mature you, by working in you and through you by his Holy Spirit. The part men play is to submit themselves to Christ through the Spirit according to the Word. It's always according to the Word. That's the Word of truth, the Spirit of truth, in order to be strengthened, in order to live out the role of the mighty man, to live biblically. He uses the same verb. This is often used in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, when he's about to introduce spiritual warfare, he says in the text, be strong. It's literally be strengthened. You're not gonna battle this. You're not gonna win this battle. You be strengthened by God so you can win this battle. He says in 2 Timothy chapter two, verse one, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Same verb breakdown. Passive voice means that has to happen to you, right? Active you do it, middle, it's happened upon you, but passive it happens to you, and he says you are to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The strength is especially necessary in the New Testament when you're facing spiritual warfare, when you're facing spiritual opposition. The Corinthians were battling with their own flesh living by their own strength. Now, some of them were false so-called believers in the context of the church at Corinth who, like unbelievers, all unbelievers, live in the the flesh. They live in their own strength. Some of the men were believers temporarily living in their own strength, being fleshly. But in order for men of the church to see Christ-like changes like we just sang about in the Corinthian church and here at Compass Bible Church, biblical changes, they had to be strong or strengthened by the Spirit of God. And don't miss the vital point here. This strength is designed to be seen. This strength is designed to be seen. When you're filled with the Spirit, you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. He demonstrates Himself through you. You put Him on display. When you're dependently strengthened, people see the Lord through you. The Corinthian men were blowing it here by not being dependent. They thought they were wise, and yet he says, Paul says, you're foolish. They thought they were strong, and he says they're weak. In fact, when you think you're strong, you're in danger of being in a fall and failing. You know, there are at my church, and I think there are at this church, men who've walked with Christ for a long time. Men who've got the lingo down, men who've had significant ministries, some who've had incredible spiritual position. They listen to all the podcasts, but understand they start thinking sometimes that they're strong, that they're wise, without depending on the Spirit of God. Let me help you. This is often where men fail. They stop depending Listen, with maturity, true men of God are not to be children. They're to grow up. They're to be mature. But in their dependence, they're still to be childlike reliant. Are you getting this? It's like my little grandsons when they walk with me and they walk over a rough road. They put their hand up and I grab onto that and help them walk. In a sense, I carry them through. Listen, in every element of your life, in your marriage, in your home, in your work, in all the elements, and all the responsibilities you have, you are to be dependent, saying, I can't do this, but you can through me, Lord. I can rely and I step out by an act of my will according to the word of God, that's dependence. In fact, the incredibly mature, the incredibly godly, the incredible mighty Apostle Paul expresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. Look at it. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, wherefore, I will rather boast about my what? My weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me and I, I believe through me as well. The mighty man continually depend on the Spirit. Mighty men are continually dependent men. They are men who do not trust themselves. They trust God's Word. There are men who don't rely on their own strength. They rely on the strength that God supplies. And because of that, they depend on God's spirit. They're not timid. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. That means mighty men are courageous men. Biblical men are not insecure, they're not. Insecurity is just ingrown eyeballs. You're looking at yourself. You grow up by being a mighty man. You keep your focus on Christ. You keep your life according to his word. You keep your dependence on the spirit of God. You've forgotten about yourself. Didn't we just say that? Give all that up just so that he would live through me. Right? But this will be misunderstood in our day. Spurgeon reminds you that bold hearted men are always called mean spirited by cowards. When a mighty man leads, they want to do what Christ wants over what they want. When a mighty man leads, they seek to lead in the same manner that Christ leads. You're not a dictator, you're gracious. Broken, humble, dependent man. This is what makes a biblical man's leadership so attractive. In fact, Paul adds one more description. Number five, the fifth command found in verse 14, the mighty man will love God and others sacrificially. The mighty man will love God and others sacrificially. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Four commands, the fifth command, verse 14, let all that you do be done in what? Love. True manliness is balanced by love. Lest their leadership become harsh. True biblical leadership is firm. True biblical leadership is unbending in conviction, but true spiritual leadership is also loving and often misunderstood. I think many men are kind of like the way they described Abraham Lincoln. As reporters got to know him, they saw a gracious, loving, incredible man, but they also saw a man who was unbending in conviction. So they gave him a nickname. You know what his nickname was? Velvet steel. That's what we're supposed to be, velvet steel. True manliness does not exclude tenderness. Now again, this is agape love, sacrificial love, not attraction, the message that our world keeps telling us, this this sentimental love. I mean, you know, how does the world talk about this? You know, love. How do they define love? How do they spell love, the world? Oh, they go, oh, it's two consonants. L and V, two vowels, O and E, two fools, you and me. You know, that's how they do it. You hear it on the radio all the time. First Peter 4.8 says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Fervent, aggressive in your love. Make sure that that's the, the shining star of your character coming through because love covers a multitude of sins. Gifted men without love are merely annoying men. Knowledgeable men without love are merely arrogant men. Pious men without love are merely self-righteous men. The Corinthians forgot to uncompromisingly battle sin at the same time unconditionally love the sinner. They forgot that. In fact, verse 14, Paul gets really pointed. He says, continually, in all you do, present tense, in everything, every aspect of your life, from your first waking moment to the last, you lay your head on your pillow, love. Selfless, sacrificial action that does what's best for another. Write it down. Selfless, sacrificial action that does what's best for another. John MacArthur says, love complements and balances everything else. Love keeps our firmness from being hardness. Love keeps our strength from becoming domineering. Love keeps our maturity gentle. Keeps our sound doctrine from becoming obstinate dogmatism. Keeps our right living from becoming smug self-righteousness. This is what the Corinthians needed. They got a whole chapter on it, chapter 13. They weren't exercising their gifts in the right way. They weren't loving, they were tolerant when they should have been strict. They were intolerant when they should have been making allowances. True manliness does what is best for your wife, does what is best for your children, does what is best for your friends, does what is best for your church. Where do you get love? 1 John 4, 7 says, love comes from who? God. And you're only able to love God and others because 1 John four nineteen Christ first loved us. Isn't that a precious truth? Christian men, you have God's love. You don't need to pray for more love. Romans 5.5, 5, it is shed abroad in your hearts. The Holy Spirit's already declared it's there. You merely act upon your will, independence upon the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, and show it. It's already there. A true mighty man loves, true manliness does what is best for others. Now let's say some of the hard things as we conclude our time. Letter A in your outline, becoming a mighty man makes you attractive in spite of the desire to control. It makes you attractive in spite of the desire to control. Spiritual leadership is an attractive quality. When you function by God's design, when you do it that way and lead your homes by his word, through his spirit, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to you. It's a blessing to others around you. But it's not without conflict. And the conflict is right there in your home with your spouse. When women were cursed in the fall, Genesis 3.16 says her desire would be for a husband. And man, is that misinterpreted. You say, well, how do we interpret it? Well, look at the very same Hebrew word, desire. It's used in the very next chapter in the same form in Genesis chapter four, verse seven, when God warns Cain, he says this. Sin is crouching at the door, and that sin, its desire, same word, is for you, but you must master it. The idea is control. Sin wants to control you. So the man is supposed to lead, but wives will want control. And you know what I say to that? Bummer. Makes it hard. Makes it difficult. You know, at every wedding, they should say, I want to introduce you to your spouse. This person will be used as a knife to shave you into what Christ wants you to be more than any other person on planet. In fact, she's a scalpel. And she's going to cut deep is anybody with me on this? You got married thinking, oh, this is wonderful, and man, oh, man. I'm praising God for that, but understand the solution is God's grace and salvation. The solution is never compromise the truth. The solution is to Live your marriage out the way that God designed it in the scriptures. Never abandon responsibility, never abandon love, but seek to display the fruit of the spirit as you pursue God's will by following God's word. I know you're tempted to think that my wife must be some sort of wimp. It is the opposite. She is the strongest, godliest woman that I know. She's also the best looking grandma on planet Earth. And she is amazing. And, and I thought, how are we going to survive? Because she's got some strength there. She's older, you know, than me, two years. She's a cougar. And uh, <laughs> did, did I say that? We made an early commitment. We said, you know what? The Trinity is our model. We're supposed to be like him, correct? So what you have in the Trinity, in fact, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 11:3 this whole modeling of, in the incarnation, that we're supposed to be like the Trinity. And so in the Trinity, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three different persons, correct? Three unique persons, yet one God, right? You're not gonna throw your Bible at me? That's not heresy, that's one God, three persons, totally unique. And our marriage is to reflect that. So we said, okay, we're gonna be totally unique, we're gonna function in different roles, just like the Father and the Son, but we're gonna seek to be one. And we're going to drive at oneness. In fact, we're not going to allow things in our lives that drive us apart. We're only going to have things in our lives that drive us together. We've made that choice for 38 years. And I would say it's bliss. It's bliss. If you're young and you're not married yet, marry the godliest woman or godliest man that you know. You will die happy because the overflow of that love relationship will spill all over you. You will die happy. You know, you, you gals, you get the guy with the, you know, the, the shovel and the Bible, right? You know what that is, Adam? He had work to do in the garden, he had a shovel, work to do, but he functioned according to the scripture, right? Some gals go after the guy with the shovel and they don't get the guy that knows the Bible. Then, or they go after the guy that knows the Bible and doesn't know how to work hard. You get one with the Bible and the shovel. Sorry, I got off track, okay. <laughs> Interesting enough, we sought to balance the roles with oneness, and we've seen—you know—obviously, we've had just like you struggles and charges and changes. But we've seen how the world marvels at that. So I took my wife on a romantic date, went to Costco, and um, you know, a hot dog and a Pepsi for a buck fifty, and that's romantic. Um, But we always think, this is just us, I'm sure you're different, this is us. When we go to Costco, if we get out of Costco without spending $100, we think we won, okay? And so we're walking out, we kind of went in to get something really quick, and we're walking out, and it's one of those weird times at Costco, there's not a 1,000 people, just hardly anybody there, and we have the one product in our hand, we're holding hands, and we're laughing over the fact that we won. And so as we're walking up, the cashier, I can see her, she's watching us. And we set the product down, and she looks at us, she goes, newlyweds, right? And at that point, 22 years. And I thought, wow, just being one, just in cherishing each other, just functioning the way God designed impresses the world. And that's exactly what it was supposed to. They're supposed to think thoughts above the marriage, beyond the marriage, to God himself, so understand, being a mighty man makes you attractive if you do things right, if you cherish your spouse, if you do what the scripture says. Letter B Becoming a mighty man means following truth in spite of conflict with others, an offense to others. John Calvin says, the mighty man is set apart from others, the single-minded man in his devotion to Christ. A mighty man is set apart from others and single-minded in his devotion to Christ. This is seen in how he follows truth. You'll not be understood, you will not be liked in this life by everyone if you live by truth, but your only hope is to live by the word of God, to study what God has to say about manhood and marriage and parenting, to whether it keeps you men from the scripture, Whatever keeps you from that scripture, no matter what it is, whatever excuse you give must be overcome. You need time in the word. The godly man, the mighty man, the biblical man is a man who knows and lives the truth. He knows and lives theology. He knows and has biblical answers. You are right now in an incredible place to learn the Bible. There are very few churches like this. You get it, don't you? Do not miss your opportunity. Drink it up here. What a privilege. Let her see. Becoming the mighty man means accepting responsibility in spite of opposition. If you're currently sinning in some way forbidden in Scripture, you see that exposed in your life this morning, the sins of commission, or the most common sin for men, you're not obeying an area of commanded in Scripture like sins of omission, like you're, you're not giving, you're not serving, you're not in church relationship, your marriage is not functioning biblically, you're not discipling your children intentionally, then embrace the responsibility, make the adjustments, accept it that you need to make the course correction, set a direction to honor God's Word. Don't pretend to be godly. Even though you've got the lingo down, even if you'll be a Christian for years, even if it's decades, you be filled with the Spirit, walk dependently, obedient to the God's Word, and allow godliness to be developed in your life. Don't be afraid. This world is making you shy away from being a man. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Stand firm. It's scary. You can get a door for a lady these days and she'll go, jerk! And you're like, thank you very much. I'm still going to get doors. Sorry. No, I didn't say that. But I just went, okay, moving on. You know, be like our American astronaut, Alan Shepard. Remember the first one who went in outer space? He just went up and down before John Glenn orbited. And as they're describing him, literally describing him, listen, Alan, if, if you go up, it's like sitting on top of 100 tons of TNT and being blown up. And you know what his response was? Sounds dangerous. Count me in. You know what I mean? That's what we got to be, guys. It's just like, hey, it's a dangerous time. Count me in. I'm going to stand up even if nobody understands. Letter D, becoming a mighty man means you minister in spite of additional priorities. All these qualities are attached to relationships with others in the context of the church. This is the Corinthian church here. Only a foolish believer or a false believer does not interconnect and interrelate to a local church. And as you do, you serve. You cannot be looked like Christ if you serve. The greatest among you are the servants. Your children will not understand Christ unless they see you serving. Do you understand? You need to make ministry a part of your life. You're to give to one another, and that way we put Christ on display. And letter E, becoming a mighty man, means salvation in Christ and sanctification in the Spirit. Salvation in Christ and sanctification in the Spirit. So if you would, please bow your heads as we conclude our time together. And allow me to share some things with you and then lead you in prayer. Listen, you cannot live for Christ if you don't know Christ. The most frustrated people on planet Earth are the people who are trying to live like a Christian without knowing Christ, without being empowered by Christ. And you cannot live for Christ unless you're dependent upon the Word of God and the Spirit of God as a Christian. What makes you a believer is not something that you do, it's what God does to you. And God accomplished it. God accomplished it. Then he does it to you. God became a man, in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man, he lived a perfect life. He offered himself on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve, the wrath of God for our sin upon himself, and because he was God, and because he was perfect, he rose from the dead and now lives. If you exchange all that you are for all that he is, you turn from your sin, you put your faith in him, you repent, and therefore he gives you not only a justified life where You are now justified before God. You have the ability to be able to stand in God's presence because now you're covered in his righteousness. But beyond that, he also changes you from the inside out. He regenerates you, making you a whole new person, empowering you to become the mighty man. Ask Christ to forgive you if you're here without him today. If you love sin, you're still the servant of sin. You're not a child of God. But if you hate sin, repent of sin, and you seek to follow Christ, who's the only solution for sin, you can be saved. And Christian, you gotta know God's word, know God himself, depend on his spirit moment by moment, always according to the word of God, never outside of that. Get accountable, get involved, get tough, and act like men. Do it for God's glory. Do it for the joy of your spouse. Do it for the blessing of your children. Do it for the strength of the church. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll use your word to draw some to yourself, and Father, most of all, that you would then also make your children more like your son, that you would help us to grow, and to be the men to step up, and to be leaders in our homes, and leaders in this world, and leaders in the church, and Father, spiritual leaders, not dominant, not order-giving, but men who are humble and gracious and broken and yet seek to pursue you with all their heart, that it would be less of them and more of you. And Father, we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. You deserve it all. We thank you, we praise you, and we exalt you as our God, our King, our Savior, our Master, and our Friend. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen.